Good morning. Let's begin today by praying Psalm 18. This is on page 789. Your hymnal is a good fitting psalm for Easter season. All right, Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him the dark rain clouds of the sky. The Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the Most High resounded. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. Indeed, Father, we give you thanks this morning for the way in which you rescued your son from the grave, that he cried out to you for help, Father, and you lifted him up on the third day. Um, you freed him from the snares of death and from the power of the grave, Father, and set him at your right hand. And Father, I pray that even this day as we um, continue, um, as we do each Lord's Day, to remember and give you thanks um, for the victory of the resurrection of your son, that we would um, remember um, that sign that the resurrection is of your power and your love, even in our lives. Um, for you, Father, are the one um, who make the dead live. And I pray that you would um, give us that hope, even in the places in our lives, Father, that feel dead, that feel um, overwhelming, Lord, um, that you are the one who brings, uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, resurrection. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Let me pass out some handouts, Jeremy, if you'll help me with these. Give you half, and maybe Donovan, will you help me with this side? Thank you, sir. Um, before we jump into the report um, and continue thinking about um, gender and sex today, which is our, our topic, um, any questions or comments about recent sermons or Maybe the Holy Week services, anything that 
you want to ask about or follow up on that you've heard? Two weeks ago, we preached on the power of the cross and the forgiveness of God um, as embodied in Jesus' death and even the way that he died, um, forgiving his executors and um, welcoming the, the, the criminal on the cross um, into paradise. And then, of course, last Sunday, we looked at um, the reality that there is a love that is stronger than death, um, the love of Jesus Christ um, for us. Anything? Okay. Well, I just want to say personally how grateful I was um, and to go through Holy Week um, with you this year. Um, it was a great, great blessing um, to be in service with you on Thursday night and Friday night and Sunday morning. Um, I just can't tell you how meaningful that was to me. Um, just so grateful for the Lord um, and now allowing us to be together um, all that week and to share um, those experiences and to walk through um, the experience of remembering not just intellectually, but in all sorts of ways, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus together. So I'm grateful for it. All right, friends, we um, will continue now with this, uh, the report on human sexuality produced by our General Assembly Committee. Um, we left off two weeks ago um, in the middle of that, uh, I guess, second paragraph um, on uh, under the heading image of God. Um, we began to talk about some of these things um, two weeks ago, but I want to go more in depth um, on them. Um, essentially, what the report is addressing here is um, transgenderism, essentially, is what's being talked about um, and the importance of or how, how the church ought to respond um, to uh, the kind of situation in our culture that um, argues that, um, you know, that your, your gender is something that you decide um, based on your uh, your own in intuition, your own experience, um, your own desires, um, and gender is something that can be separated from your biological sex and, and pursued in that way. Um, so there are a couple things we want to say in response to that, um, to that claim. Um, first, as we looked at two weeks ago, just this simple sentence, as a God of order and design, God opposes the confusion of man as woman and woman as man. And um, I won't belabor this because we talked about it um, some two weeks ago, but but I do want to, you to hear me say clearly that we believe that the scriptures teach that, um, um, that we ought not to confuse um, the sexes, um, that they, are, um, they should be distinguished from one another, um, that they are um, different, and it is wrong um, to, um, to act as though they're not, um, to act as though they are something that we determine for ourselves um, what, the, what the sexes are um, and, and um, how gender plays into that. Um, and so that is something certainly, and, and remember we've talked about sort of the apologetic and the pastoral task um, as a part of this report. So this, this sentence more emphasizes the apologetic side of that, right? That this is something that we as a church need to maintain um, and hold on to and, and, and declare publicly um, that, we, um, that God um, opposes the confusion of man as woman and woman as man. Um, the, the next sentence is one that is more, um, that kind of combines, you know, both the pastoral and the apologetic, I guess I would say, in some ways. Um, and this is an important one. Um, while situations involving such confusion um, can be heartbreaking and complex, men and women should be helped to live in accordance with their biological sex. Um, so what, what the sentence is trying to do is say that um, there, there may be some people who genuinely um, 
struggle deeply with um, their sense of their gender identity and what it means to be a man um, if they were born as a man or what it means to be a woman if they were born as a woman. Um, I, I would say I personally don't have a lot of pastoral experience in this specific area. I do have a lot of experience um, dealing with uh, particularly men who wrestle with um, same-sex attraction issues. Um, I don't personally have a lot of experience with the um, with people who, who wrestle with transgender identity. Um, but obviously, I think we can look around and um, in the culture and, and perhaps loved ones that we have, um, friends. Um, um, it's easy for us to see that this is a real thing, that people do genuinely uh, wrestle with this. Um, and there are many reasons for that. Um, certainly, um, they are heartbreaking and complex, those situations, as the report says. Um, I, w- I would say that uh, undoubtedly um, the there is a, um, you know, and you can read about this. There many, many studies have been done. Um, but there's no doubt that the, the underlying confusion in our culture about the sexes has led to a great deal more of this confusion in particular people's lives. Does that make sense? Um, it's created the, the space. It's almost, um, you know, I think, some might argue that it's almost encouraged um, these days for many of our young people to uh, sort of determine um, what their um, gender ought to be. Um, you know, that's that's you know like a almost a rite of passage to some extent. You have to determine um, who you are um, sexually, um, and then you know who it is that you're attracted to sexually. Um, that that's something that you have to um, figure out, and that of course, from my perspective, is, is, um, is madness, candidly. Um, it, is, it is unwise. Um, and I think that we are beginning to live into some of those, um, those stories. And now some of these stories are just incredibly heartbreaking. Um, increasingly, if you, at least I'm, I'm reading stories like this on, on the internet um, that people are posting, um, of individuals, um, the, the stories that I've read have mostly been women um, who um, were, became convinced that they, you know, identified as men, as teenagers, um, and then began to go through hormonal treatment, um, perhaps, you know, sort of um, you know, taking away their breasts by some surgery, that kind of thing, um, only to, to reach the age of, you know, early 20s and realize why did I do this? Um, this is not who I, you know, this is not right. This is not who I am. This is not living, leading to the kind of freedom that I was promised um, as a person. And, um, and it is heartbreaking to read those stories about what people have done um, to themselves at times. And one second, Alexis. Um, and, um, and so I, I think that we, we want to acknowledge, and, and people who go into those situations, you know, of course there's some culpability for them, themselves, they're making decisions, but, um, but particularly with minors, I think you wonder what on earth is happening here um, where um, people are, where young people um, are being given the, the sort of idea that, that, that these decisions are, good for them to make. Um, of course, I don't support these kinds of decisions 
at any age for a person, but particularly for a teenager. Um, it's just heartbreaking um, for kids to be making decisions that will they'll live with the rest of their lives, potentially. Um, and, and to be encouraged in that for that, at least for some in our culture, for people to be like saying, yes, this is liberating for you. This is, you know, um, and it, it, is, it is deeply heartbreaking um, to enter into those things. Um, yes, Alexis. Yeah, I, I think that there's certainly a reality of that, and and uh, you know, I I think that's part of adolescence is understandably working through who am I and and what do I believe and you know what do I value in this world those kinds of things and the the challenge of as you've put it Alexis in our culture is that that now things that were not previously up for debate or you know, questioning are on the table. Th things as fundamental as am I a man or am I a woman? Um, and that's, that is a, yeah, it's, I mean, I think it, it is, it is madness in a, in a deep way. I, I'm not using that word lightly. Um, it, it's, um, yeah. Jeremy, do you have a comment, question? Middle Covenant. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, certainly community is a big part of the attraction for some of these things, and we should we should uh, be conscious of that as the church. What kind of community are we creating and inviting people into? Is it, it should be more compelling, obviously, than a homosexual community or a, a transgender community. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> not that much older. Absolutely not. Right.
Why so fast? Kim is asking. Um, yeah, it is, it is really hard to comprehend um, the difference between the world that you or I grew up in um, and where, you know, where we are now. Um, and um, I, I don't know, Kim. I mean, you know, maybe some of the um, philosophers in the room can help us talk about this. But, but uh, I, um, I think that's a great question. I know Carl Truman's written a book recently, which is supposed to wrestle with some of those questions that I haven't read. Um, but uh, Mike may have an answer for us, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, more accessible. So Mike is recommending Carl Truman's work. Um, the original work is called, what, The Sources of the Self? Triumph of the Modern Self, okay. Um, something like that. And then there's a new, more condensed version that's come out recently. And essentially, if you didn't hear, Mike was saying, Truman's argument essentially is that, that forces, these have been building for a long time, but um, it's just kind of the dam bursting ef effectively. Um, and um, and I, think, I think that's a fair point. And of course, I think fundamentally it is related to um, Western civilization rejecting a Christian understanding of reality in a fundamental way. Um, but still, I think you had a period where, you know, we were still sort of intuitively Christian on some things um, because it was what we were used to or what people did, you know, and that was probably the case um, when we were growing up. Um, and now that just, I think we're seeing the weakness of that, right? That sort of habits and just sort of cultural um, intuition doesn't, doesn't hold. Um, but it, it is fascinating how it is, a, it is a new thing. I mean, even you think about the, I talked a couple weeks ago about the Greco-Roman world and some of the sexual um, practices there, um, which were horrifying in many ways. But you did not have this. This, this is new. Um, this did not exist in the ancient world. Um, in terms of people, you know, publicly um, adopting different genders for themselves and living that out in a way that was unashamed. Um, that is a new thing. I mean, that was the, you know, as I understand it, at least, one of the worst things you could do in the ancient world if you were a man was to, um, you know, be accused of being effeminate. Um, it was, it was not accepted, um, and so I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I made this comment, you know, a lot two weeks ago that there's no question that we are in uncharted territory, even even as like the human race to some extent, right? In terms of how we're working through what it, you know, the idea that you can without shame, without um, any, you know, if anyone gives you a hard time, then they're they're the person who's out of line. Um, adopt 
a different gender for yourself and live that this is I mean I've, I think historically it's unprecedented in terms of what we're doing and um, and I'm deeply concerned for the effects um, I guess my, my one hope is that, you know, and I think if you're seeing this, and this is interesting, the stories that I'm telling about, I've told a few minutes ago about, you know, women who tried to be men as teenagers and now are realizing, like, these are not necessarily Christian people, right? These are just people who, it's not like they've necessarily had some kind of conversion experience. They're just trying it and living with it and realizing this is not a good way to live. And so I guess I have some hope that, Maybe we'll go down this path and everybody will like be like, what did we do? Like we all lost our collective minds for 20 years or whatever. Um, I, don't, I don't know. You know, there is a, such a thing as common grace and God is merciful. Um, so that certainly I have s- at least some hope that, that that may be the case. Donovan. Oh yeah, there's no question. I mean, it's a it's a kind of chicken and egg thing, right? I mean, there's no question if you you know every television show now it seems like um, has characters that are um, openly homosexual or openly transgender or you know what I mean? Like it's just it's like and that's a you know profound picture of even how right we we know I grew up. Um, and it was a huge deal when Ellen DeGeneres came out and, you know, was a openly lesbian person on television. Um, and now, um, you know, that's just like, you know, normal um, for there to be um, those kinds of depictions in popular culture. Now, the question, of, I mean, it, it's just sort of a reinforcing thing, right? Um, those things aren't going to be sold to us unless we feel fine watching them (laughs) as a culture, right? Um, But they certainly also reinforce the the normality um, of of these kinds of things, that this is what it means to be. And, and And this is sort of, you know, just thinking about the epic quest these days in modern culture is to discover yourself, to figure out who you are, right? That's, that is the, that's the arc of so many stories, um, movies, it's all about going inside yourself and determining who you are and living out that reality. Um, that, that, is the, that is the new version of the epic quest. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the, um, the odyssey for our day, right? It's no longer about going on a great journey and then coming home. Um, it's about going somewhere inside yourself and, and becoming enlightened and having the courage to bring yourself to the world. Um, so yeah, I think there is a, a reinforcing kind of thing that goes on there with those things. The, so there are a couple things I want to say here. Um, so these situations are heartbreaking conf- and complex, but we can't, and this is part of the apologetic task and pastoral task, I don't want to set those things at odds, men and women should be helped to live in accordance with their biological sex. And I want to say this clearly, um, as your pastor, that this is what we believe. Um, it doesn't matter, fundamentally at least, it doesn't matter if a person um, is not happy 
with their biological sex or doesn't feel that they um, that fits their understanding of who they are. Um, it doesn't matter what measures they've taken um, to change their um, their sex. That we we believe we want to stick to this. I think it's the only way out of the madness is to say that um, your sex is something that you are given by God. It is not something that you select. It's something that you were born um, with, and therefore being the kinds of people that we are, reading the Bible the way that we do, we believe that God determines it, right? That he elects it, that he sovereignly wills um, whether um, I am a man or a woman. And um, for me to live out that biological sex is connected fundamentally to my um, submission to God as a human person, um, to, his, to his authority, to his will, to his choice uh, for me. Um, so in other words, for me to decide that I want to live out as a woman um, is to, you know, just leaving aside all the, you know, ways that that's not helpful and et cetera, et cetera, for me, it is, it is an act of rebellion against God, fundamentally. Um, and I think we have to say that. And we have to say that repentance for a person in this situation has to begin with um, making whatever changes are necessary to live out their the sex that God has given them um, at birth. Um, and I think that actually is pastoral. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just holding the line. It's actually what is best for folks. Um, and then the, the, the following sentence here um, goes on to, again, just sort of add another layer to that. Nevertheless, we ought to minister compassionately to those who are sincerely confused and disturbed, even, by their internal sense of gender identity. And um, there the report, um, the authors of the report quote from, I think it's supposed to be Galatians 6, 1. Um, I think that's a typo in the report itself. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should re restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then 2 Timothy 2. Twenty-four to 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, that's a, you know, what a beautiful picture that is um, in Second uh, Timothy, um, that we should be gentle with opponents, those who are outside of, you know, opposing God, um, because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses. And that, that speaks to what we're talking about here, right? Um, that they may put aside the kind of insanity, the madness. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, and I think this is something that we need, really need to wrestle with as a church. Um, you know, if, if we're going to read the tea leaves, if, if, if what is happening 
um, that we're all talking about is the case that this is a place where many people in our culture are confused and are living out that confusion in different ways um, and are harming themselves by so doing, then we, we as, this is important for us to think about. We as a church have to be prepared in the next decade to minister to people um, who this is their story. Um, because, because we think that it's not going to go well, right? This, this experiment that we're doing as a culture is not going to succeed. It's going to lead to a lot of people who are broken, who, are, um, who have harmed themselves, um, who have been harmed by others. Um, and and um, what we want as the church is to be ready for that, to love those people, um, to care for them, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ um, into those kinds of complex, difficult, heartbreaking um, situations. Um, and that's, that's really something that I think we really, and um, part of why we're doing this report is to really, so we can start talking about these things. Um, these kinds of issues, this is really important for me, in the church should not be um, taboo, right? We shouldn't be unwilling to talk about them or to acknowledge them or to say, you know, there may be people in this room who struggle with their gender identity. And I want you to hear me say, you don't have to be terrified of that, right? You don't need to feel like that's not something you can talk about with me. Um, let's discuss those things. Um, let's enter into this. And we should anticipate that if we're doing a good job as a church, that the next decade or so, we're going to be increasingly need to figure out what it means for us to minister to people who do have that story um, and whose lives have been marked um, by that kind of confusion. Does that make sense? Any thoughts about any of that? Yeah, Trudy. Right, there's this disorientation, yeah. Is God giving our country over um, for a season of judgment? I mean, I would say that not only our country, but our nation, but Western civilization in general, um, the West, I think, is exploring what it is to, you know, particularly because the West is a culture that historically has been Christian um, for a millennia or more um, in very self-conscious ways. Not, you know, we don't want to, not perfectly, not obviously not perfectly because <laughs> we're where we are now um, but yeah there's no question you can't we can't read the history of of you know the last couple hundred years and not see the ways in which our culture has moved away from a Christian understanding of um, God or of humanity or of what is true and good and beautiful in the world um, and I think it's just a the reality is that that cultures rise and fall throughout history um, and there are, there are always times when no one thinks that a culture is not going to um, you know go through not not be um, not fall 
and then it does, right? And I don't know what that means exactly for the West, but it, it does feel to me increasingly that the center cannot hold in perpetuity, um, not only because of um, all the things that, you know, all the weaknesses that we see, all the problems, but also because I believe that God is sovereignly ordaining history, and I just can't imagine that he will allow um, a culture to oppose him publicly, unabashedly, unashamedly, um, in the way that Western culture is at this point, including the United States, I would say. And God, I d- think if you, just, if you read history, God doesn't tend to allow that to go on for forever. <laughs> um, and, and God is, I mean, God is slow and he doesn't rush into judgment, thank goodness. Um, you know, so I don't know what that means. I'm not making any predictions of the future, um, but I don't, you know, I said this when I became pastor here eight years ago. Um, I don't have any, because people were asking me similar questions about the culture and and I said, very just point blank, and I say it today, like, God has not made any particular promises to the United States of America. He just hasn't. It doesn't exist. Um, and so I don't know what the future holds for the United States. Um, there's no covenant between us and God, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, God has made particular promises to the church. Um, and so I fully believe that that that's where my money is. That's where my commitment is, is to continuing to um, to build up the church in a time of cultural, what, what can only be described as cultural decline. Um, and, and I'm not afraid of that. You know, I'm not afraid of that future um, because of that, because Jesus has made particular promises to the church and, and the church will um, continue on. And in, in some ways, you know, I, I've used this language here before. I think I used it when I was being interviewed. Like in some ways I view, you know, the church is doing very quite well in other parts of the world, um, which is wonderful. And in, in some ways I think, you know, it, it may be, it may be that part of our job, part of my job actually for you as a pastor is for us to be, um, to have the kind of quality of life and um, humility and um, spiritual godliness that we are ready when the missionaries from Nigeria or China or wherever they might come from show up in Texas, right, to re-evangelize the West. Um, and I, that's, that's something that we need to hold on to, right, as we think about what God is doing in the world, is that it is not even if there are significant problems in our culture, um, it's not the end of the story. Um, so, yeah, Matt, you've had your hand up.
Right. Yeah, that's a big question. Thanks for asking it. So Matt, Matt, Matt is essentially saying, what responsibility does the church have um, in terms of our cultural moment and the, um, the sin and the, the confusion um, that exists? Particularly, I think you're asking about the way in which the church has responded in the past to the sin of homosexuality in particular. Um, you mentioned the 80s and 90s. And um, the AIDS um, crisis and those kinds of things. So a couple things that I would say. Um, first, I would say, yes, the church is absolutely bears responsibility for whatever happens in the culture. Um, the, the church is meant to be <laughs> the leavening force in the culture. Um, and obviously that has not um, had, had effect, the effect that we want it to um, in the world. And that is the responsibility of the church, um, generally speaking. I think that's absolutely true. I think, you know, part of what you're saying is, is you know, can't, I mean, I mean, uh, friends, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm so grateful to be an American. I'm grateful for American history. There's no other, you know, nation that I would want to be a part of as a person. I'm thankful to the Lord <coughs> giving me this nation to be born in. But... I, if you look at American history, I don't think there's any doubt that there is always a lot of nominalism um, in the culture in terms of Christianity. Um, and, um, and I think some of those things are just coming to bear in our culture, you know, that we, the, the weakness of um, religious commitment in our nation has never been, you know, it, it's never been as, it obviously has not been strong enough to, and that's not just some, like, conspiracy because bad people are doing things and we're the victims here. No, it's just, we just have not been sufficiently uh, Christianized, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it just comes down to that, um, fundamentally. Um, so that that's certainly, so certainly I would say that, and so, you know, further evangelization of the United States and the West needs to happen. And... Um, we get to be a part of that, which is wonderful um, as a calling. Um, I would say certainly that the church failed um, in terms of the way that it responded, as you know, as far as I understand it, um, to the homosexual uh, movement in the 80s and 90s and, and the AIDS crisis. And I think certainly there was a lot, there were a lot of mistakes made. Now, that's not universally true, um, you know, as I've shared, I mean, my, you know, my father was ministering to um, people with with AIDS um, in the 90s. Um, and they were, you know, some of them were in my home as a kid, um, being loved and cared for. And um, so that's not universally true, um, I wouldn't say. Um, but certainly I think that there were significant failures. This is a complex thing, and we're going to continue to talk about these dynamics, but it is true, our confession holds, and I think the scriptures teach, that some sins are more heinous than others. And I think that we have to say clearly that 
um, homosexual sin is more heinous by definition um, than um, what we would you know, refer to as heterosexual sin um, uh, because it is against nature in a way that heterosexual sin is not. Um, and we, we shouldn't back down from that. Um, that is a distinction that needs to be made. And yet we can also say that there are ways in which um, we have, the, and I'm just using generalities here because it's impossible to talk about this in any other way, but that the church has at times rushed to condemn homosexual sin without dealing with its own sin. Um, I think, you know, the biggest change in terms of our culture sexually was not, you know, with the hippies um, or with the gays or now the transgenders. The biggest change sexually in our culture was no-fault divorce um, and the church's acceptance of that. Um, that. That was a fundamental change. In our, and, and, and you can see the dominoes falling after that. Um, and so, you know, to, again, just speaking generalities here, it's not true of every church or every Christian, but generally speaking, um, I think the church made peace with no-fault divorce and made peace with other kinds of sexual sin, um, particularly pornography, um, you know, things like that. And, and I think that, that weakened its ability to respond with love and compassion and truth to, um, to other kinds of sins. Um, and I, I think that's a huge problem. I think that we have to own that. And so I, I don't know if that helps at all, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we have to as a church. For us, you know, we, we cannot get into this mindset of the problem is all, it's just out there, you know. If those people, whoever those people are, would just stop doing whatever it is that they're doing, then we would just, everything would be fine. Now, I think that's not a Christian response at all to evil in the world. Christian response to evil in the world always has to begin with my own heart, my own life, my own family, my own church. What does it mean for us to repent more, to become more holy um, before we even begin to, you know, be concerned? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's Jesus saying, you know, take the uh, log out of your own eye before you wear out the speck in someone else's. I mean, it's just that principle applied to, you know, these kind of larger cultural moments. And I think we really have to wrestle with that as a church. Um, yeah, Lauren. Thank you. 
been uh, we've been shamed for that. Uh, sometimes wrongly so. You know, sure. people will make anything of these statements, even when you declare uh, what, what God's law is. But I think it's very important, and I, I really appreciate the extent that they've gone to in this report of really speaking to these individuals who are very ignore them and and I want to get away from that culture but to you know pursue them as, as men and women who are created in the image of God and have inherent dignity and respect that we want to um, appeal to yeah. uh, so I, I really appreciate the, the, the way that the report has done that and I think that's that's the critical challenge in our day because anybody that's Right. You know, you you are reaching out to all, and you must because that's the moral high ground. Uh, because of course they have no moral high ground when they they when they turn away from the law of God. Right. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, Lauren. Um, yes, I think the the report does an excellent job of of marrying these two things of marrying um, truth with love and and not moving, not compromising what we believe the scriptures teach regarding these matters, but trying to address the, comp- the sin with compassion, um, the confusion with um, gentleness, with concern. And I think that's where we need to be as a church, is holding on to both those things. Anything else? Any other comments? Yeah, Kim. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So Kim is saying that there seems to be some distinction here between those who are sincerely confused and maybe those who ought to know better, essentially, and are encouraging. And I think that's exactly, I mean, certainly God deals, as a principle, general principle, God deals with those who, um, there is a distinction between sins of weakness and sins that are high-handed in the scriptures. And I think that anyone who... Um, claims to have authority over others or tell other people how to live, um, that's a dangerous thing to do. You know, it's most dangerous to do that in the church. And like my job is the most dangerous job um, in terms of God's evaluation um, of you. Uh, But I think that's a general principle um, in the culture that anyone who claims to have authority and to tell especially, you know, little ones, as Jesus puts it, right? Um, Woe to you if you cause any of these little ones to stumble. Um, And I think that certainly that has direct application to the church, but it also is a principle for generally for human society and culture and the way that judgment comes, um, that those who are leading um, little ones into sin, into irreparable harm to their bodies, um, into their psyches, um, yeah, there's no doubt that that is, that is something that we should think about differently and God thinks about differently. Yeah, I agree. 
Yes, sir. Yes. Mm, okay. I think I've heard of that. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yes, it's impossible to change our sex in a fundamental way. At this, at this point, at least. Yeah, I mean, there's no question uh, that I totally agree with you, Mike, that it is not, un it is not, despite what, you know, may be assumed in our culture, it is not lack compassion for us to tell people the truth. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw an article, you know, um, recently, you may have seen articles like this, it was like in the Atlantic or something, which is, you know, far from a conservative Christian institution establishment and and it was a article that said something like you know um you know couples that get married with fewer sexual partners previous to marriage and who don't live together have a more likely chance of being happy and not divorced you know in some length of time and you're just like well that's not shocking right um you know <laughs> like uh yeah you know that's there it is actually following the law of God actually does lead to good things for people, um, objectively. Um, and it is, it is kind of funny the, you know, that, anyway, it's just funny that, you know, we're applying scientific studies to examine that and then reporting it as though it's surprising. Um, so I, I totally agree with you in that, in that, with that point. I think the, and the question just becomes, how do you, as, as Lauren was saying, how do you speak that truth in a way that people can hear and um, where you are, you are, you are, you're, and, that, and that's, the, that's the great task of the church. It's going to be our great task um, in coming years is how do you speak the truth in ways that people can hear. Um, we're going to have to wrap up there because it is about 10, 15. Um, 
but this is good discussion. I'm grateful for it. Um, I think I think it's important for us as a church to really, like I said, talk about these things and wrestle with them. And I, I think some of the resources that have been mentioned, you know, Mike mentioned a book. Um, uh, the other Mike mentioned a book. Um, so, you know, th- these are all things we can, and there's a bibliography, as I pointed out in the, um, the work here. Let me see. I think there are some works on transgender specifically. <clears throat> well, see a lot of stuff about same sex attraction. Thought they had a anyway, I'll I'll see if I can find out some resources uh, to recommend. Um the Love Thy Body book by Nancy Piercy that we've had out is a good resource. Um, about some of these things. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's stand and pray as we continue to ask the Lord to be merciful and help us with all of this. Father, we do, um, we give you thanks for the way in which you have um, revealed your will to us, Lord, um, how you give us all that we need to know in terms of um, how to live godly, righteous, holy lives. And I pray that you would help us, um, Lord, to individually and as families and as a church um, to live lives of repentance, um, that we would confess our sins, Father, and um, that we would be, we would turn from them, um, that we would be holy in that way. And ultimately, Father, it would be the holiness of our life, um, not in a self-righteous way, but in a transparent way before you and before others that would um, give us um, the opportunities um, to speak the truth and love um, to those who need so desperately um, to be uh, awakened from confusion. And um, I pray for that even as we think about all the things we've talked about today, Lord, that you would give us that kind of quality of life um, as individuals and as a church, um, that we might, uh, we might be those um, who know what it is to welcome sinners because we ourselves are sinners who are welcomed um, by you. And through your son, Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.